You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. I'm Shonda Rhimes, and we're bringing you Dominant Stories, created by Shondaland Audio in partnership with the Dove Self-Esteem Project. I guess my, in my ideal world, right, we all have these conversations and we have all these teachable moments and we get to change a whole society because no one's going to be fat phobic anymore and it's going to be wonderful. But we're exhausted too. But we just want to let you know that this is your day, this is your body, and this is your choice however you decide to handle this. Hey, I'm Jess Weiner, and this is Dominant Stories, the podcast that helps us reclaim and rewrite the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our bodies, our beauty, our creativity, and our identities. You know, we talk a lot with the guests on this show about their childhood because I think for so many of us, that's where these dominant stories, the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, often they come from the experiences we've had growing up. Either we've inherited some negative voices from our parents who likely often inherited them from their parents, or maybe as a kid, we've had some formidable experience in school or in sports or friendships or relationships. So cut to the moment that I'm recording this episode right now, which is smack dab in the middle of the holiday season, and many of us are getting ready to see family, friends, or loved ones that we haven't seen in a while. And even in non-pandemic years, the holidays for some people can be very triggering, very frustrating, and downright chaotic. That's why I was inspired to do this special edition episode of the podcast around the holidays and the dominant stories that can tend to come up for us during this time of year. So whether you are dreading a family convo about your weight or your appearance, or they're going to ask you about your relationship status or your career trajectory, this show is for you. We're also going to be talking about how to celebrate and challenge and change these stories so that we can make the most of the time that we have with the people that we love. I asked you to submit your questions for today, and I'm going to answer them along with the help of a very special guest. Joining me today is entrepreneur and model and new parent, Iskra Lawrence. Iskra is a champion for mental wellness and self-esteem and self-care. She's made waves in her very successful career as a model and body image advocate. And she shares her life to millions of fans on social media about a range of her new experiences as a parent, as a business owner, having just launched a new product called the Self-Funding Planner, which we're going to talk about. But one of the reasons that I wanted Iskra to join me in answering your questions is because she and I have had some really fascinating conversations around the way 
way that we can reframe our identities in life, whether that's about our work or our relationships or our body image. So we're going to take some turns answering your burning questions today about holiday-related dominant stories. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, let me know what you think by subscribing or writing a review wherever you're listening. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Okay, my love, I'm so happy to have you on this show. Absolutely. We've been asking from our audience for a while now to send us some of, you know, their stories and dominant stories that are coming up during the holidays and things that they're working through and struggling with. But that's what I wanted to dig in with you. So we're going to get to those questions in a moment. But I'm curious for you, when you think about the holidays, like just top of mind, what are the words that immediately come up for you when I say the holidays? (laughs) Family, food, nap. (laughs) (laughs) Naps. Do you really get to nap? I mean, this year, that's my absolute goal. I'm finishing out this week strong, filled with work. Then I'm going to switch my phone off. (laughs) I'm going to take every opportunity to nap and just really replenish, recover, restore all the R's, the good R&R. I love that. For me this year, it's exactly what you just said. It's replenish, (laughs) it's unplug. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking forward to having a moment to reflect. I usually love this time of year just to take some internal inventory of things that really worked for me, things that I want to shift or grow more into or away from. So I love this time as a real like moment of reflection. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and listen, I think for everybody, it comes up really differently. And so that's partly why we wanted to, to dig into some of these things today. But I wanted to talk a little bit, Iskra, about your career as a model, an activist, a spokesperson for a while has been a lot about bringing up the topic of body image and self-esteem in a public manner. Anybody that follows your work online and your work over the years knows you're very forthright, you're very authentic, you're very real, which is a lot of what I think excites and inspires people. And I think during the holidays, I want to dive right into the issue of, of, you know, body image during the holidays. It's incredibly triggering for people. It's a time around food and family, but food and family can be very triggering for folks, right? Yes. I just read a recent stat that is not surprising to me. 47% of women in the U.S. have gained weight during the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. so I think if normally folks go home and get an unsolicited comment about their weight anyway, pre-pandemic, a lot of us might be seeing our families with some shifted physical appearances that could elicit some of these convos. So there's a whole swarm of dominant stories waiting for folks. And for you, do you have any dominant stories that have come up for you about your body during the holidays? Was the holidays ever kind of a triggering time for you around body image? Growing up. I certainly remember having puppy fat. That's what my family called it. What does that mean? Apparently it's when you're a chubby kid and the puppy fat will just melt off as you turn into a teenager because that's what's naturally meant to happen. So it's kind of like, oh, it's just puppy fat. But obviously you have to get rid of it because, you know, society is fat phobic. Yeah. So I, I definitely know that I always had a good appetite and people always kind of spoke to me in that sense. Mm. And it felt light and playful, but understanding that if anyone is basing any type of value or worth on appearance, it's not a positive thing. Yeah. Especially for young people as they're developing when 
anything is referred to about your size and your weight, it immediately is going to make you hyper aware of that. And we are so much more as beings than just the physical. Yes. So that's why I think this is so relevant during the holidays, Mm -hmm. because unfortunately, we live in a society where our value and worth is appearance based. That's where we are really judged immediately by, like you said, any shift in appearance. And for some reason, we feel super, super, super comfortable to tell people and and be very verbal about it. And I think that is due to the media. When we think about the headlines that we are constantly fed, they are nearly, especially for women, always appearance-based. However, I know there's Tom Holland at the moment having to defend his height. So even there, there's a perfect example that some physical appearance is again being judged, being picked apart, being made the center focal point of probably a loving, beautiful, happy relationship. But we have to take it back to the bare basics of a physical appearance. So I think, unfortunately, it's weirdly people's comfort zone for for small talk. And so if you Mm. haven't seen family members for a long time, they immediately go to that because that's their comfort thing. It's what's discussed in society all the time. So it's like, oh, wow, you lost weight. How did you do that? You look great. Or vice versa. Someone's going to go, oh, Nancy's put on a few pounds. Oh. And we live in such a visual culture right now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of emphasis on transformation and before and afters. And, you know, your conversation around puppy fat, I I was imagining is somewhat similar saying to a kid baby fat, right? Oh, they're like, they've got baby fat on them. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think about how we should be and need to be more mindful of how we talk to kids during this time mm-hmm. of year, right? So if you've got a kid who's putting on a lot of food on their plate because they're really excited and they're hungry, how do we normalize that and not stigmatize mm. that and make it anything other than just enjoying that moment? And I know that that gets complicated for people. They have lots of beliefs around food and nutrition and all that kind of stuff, but words matter, don't they? Absolutely. I'm already very conscious and I have a one and a half year old. And it does get tricky. And I'm, you know, this is a gray area for me as someone who struggled with an eating disorder, figuring out what maybe triggered me when I was younger. What do I vividly remember were points when I decided a food was good or bad. Mm-hmm. Or when I remember learning that I should feel guilty for eating a brownie or it's a treat to have a McDonald's. Yes. Like, how did I learn that? And how do I make sure that? how I'm communicating with my child because I need to make him aware. But at the same time, I just need to give him absolutely everything to understand that food is not emotional. Yes. To detach the good and the bad and those emotions and those guilt and those feelings around food. Because I do know my great aunt, you know, I've seen her say to one of my younger cousins, you can't eat that biscuit, you'll get fat. Mm. It's trying to come from a good place because like we said, society bases success and worth, attraction on appearance. And right now our beauty ideal and generally it has been is slimmer. We're a fat phobic society. So that is meant to come from a good place of I'm protecting you from these sugary, high calorie foods that will make you gain weight because no one wants to gain weight. It's the worst thing you can do. Right. (sighs) almost going to be impossible for me to not have a scenario where my child is going to hear that somehow. Correct. So I think it's really understanding food as a valuable Mm -hmm. fuel and talking about 
the colors, the nourishment, the, the vitamins, like all the parts that make it wonderful. And then also we get to eat a brownie when we want to, because it's something that we enjoy, but we also enjoy right. fueling our food with broccoli and fresh foods because those are super nutritious and that feels amazing for our body. So really just trying to get that intuitive eating. Yeah. When do you feel full? Can you understand that this is nourishing? You have to eat. We all have to eat. Yeah. You know, it's funny because it's not only just this holiday season of family gatherings and whatnot, but like soon after we barrel straight into New Year's and Mm -hmm. resolutions and the focus on turning a new page and starting a new, which I love as a metaphor, but I hate as a concept of pressure. And I was curious what your take is on New Year's resolutions. Do you make them? Do you believe in them? The only thing I do at the top of the year is, like you said, I like to reflect. So it's interesting you reflect in December. I almost don't want to do it yet because I want to be hopefully super unproductive. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I get really excited to completely switch off like the last Mm. 10 days of December, like really switch off. And in the beginning of the new year, I get excited to think, okay, let's look back. So that's my reflection. Mm-hmm. And now let's plan. Let's do some goal setting. And this isn't about I need to completely change who I am or what I did or what I look like or anything like that. It's just more like I'm excited for this year. There is so much opportunity. Abundance is everywhere. Let's make the most of it. Plan it out so it feels like there's less pressure. And those big goals break them down so they feel more digestible. Yeah. So 2021 I'm not sure yet where it's going to be. 2021 was such a weird year. It was so transitional, I think, for many of us. And I almost didn't have a plan for the year because I just had a baby and I was following my baby's lead, to be honest. Yeah, of course. And you know, Jenna Kutcher, our mutual friend who I absolutely adore, she was like, the first year is for baby. The second year is for you to get back. Mm. it's your year. So I feel like that's what 2022 is going to be. It's going to be my year to really refine myself. I love that. You know? Yes. Listen, you had a massive identity shift in so many ways, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about the part of you that shifted heavy into executing as an entrepreneur. You Mm -hmm. launched the self-funding planner. You've obviously talked about planning as a very key value for you. So let's talk about what you just put out into the world, because not only did you make a human baby, but (laughs) you launched a product. And and tell me what that means for you, the self-funding planner. When do I feel really connected? When I'm journaling, when I'm being very present, when I'm planning, because it's more than a planner, it's like a mix of a journal. And then I have reflection every month. I have pre-month planning so they can get ahead and continue setting their goals. I have a thank you note to yourself in the back with a beautiful envelope that I want people to treasure and maybe reflect on in a few years. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I was sat there during the pandemic feeling isolated, thinking I miss meeting people. I miss connecting with people. What is a product that I can create where I can still do that? And I was like, it's got to be this planet. And the phrase self-funding I developed with Philip because he was always trying to tell me, what's the thing that you do? And I'm like, I like to invest in myself and let people know that they need to invest in themselves too. And it's about that Mm -hmm. self-funding. Like I'm believing in myself. I'm my own investor. You know, I'm putting my money in me and my time in me, my energy into me so I can be my best self. So that's where the self-funding came from. 
I love that. Before we get into answering our listener questions, one of the things that I wanted to just touch in with you on, you talked about, you know, your beautiful baby and he's mm-hmm. a year and a half now. And congratulations again for you and Philip and you. the intentional parenting that you're creating. And I'm curious now, as you're looking to the holiday seasons with with him, what are you thinking about? What are you most grateful for? And mostly I think too, is for like what's changed for you in relationship to yourself? You've launched a human, mm-hmm. you're launching a new business model, you know, you're still out there in the world doing all your wonderful work. What are you learning about you? Mm. What I'm learning about me is I really need to take deep breaths in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I thought and believed I couldn't be a morning person. It was such a a dreadful, terrible thing for me that I was like punished every day for having to get up. And it was like, I'm just going to shift my day forward a little bit and make this work instead of complaining, figuring out how I can feel grateful for it. I can feel grateful because now I've been productive. I get to finish earlier. So now I get to be present with my child. So that was a huge shift because like you said, so many transitions. I mean, yeah, all of a sudden you have a child that you don't have a manual for, but there's thousands of manuals out there, but none of them are for your child. Right. So you're listening to everyone else's noise. Right. And you told me this would work and this doesn't and da, 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 and the judgment and the comparison, even with the child and your parenting and your bounce back or whatever people feel like they need to call it. It's just a lot. And just being okay to not do as much as I used to do, choosing to say no a lot. Yes. And not apologize for it. Just say, I know that right now in this season, this doesn't work. I'm going to be at home. I'm going to be saying no. I'm going to be doing less. Does that mean that I'm giving up? Does that mean that I'm unproductive? Does it no? Just means I'm choosing this because this is right for me and my family right now. See, in everything that you just shared, it's so beautiful because you just described two very different kinds of dominant stories, right? That dominant story Mm. of like, I'm not a morning person. I can't do this. You know, we often think dominant stories have to be these, um, you know, very heavy or heady things about our worth or our well-being. But I think even telling ourselves the story of what you can or can't do, you were able to challenge and change, which I know has been on the mind a lot, uh, minds a lot. Of the folks who've written in, we've been collecting these questions, Iskra, from our Dominant Stories listeners, and they're so interesting and varied. Mm. And we ask folks to submit their holiday Dominant Stories questions, anything funny, mm. frustrating, and otherwise that comes up for folks during the holidays. And because I love hearing your advice, and I love telling people what to do, let's answer <laughs> some of these questions together. Let's do it. Can't wait. So here's question number one. Okay, my husband and I come from different cultural and religious backgrounds, and we recently had a daughter. I'm struggling in knowing how to balance the unique traditions between each set of grandparents. It feels like each group of in-laws has expectations of their traditions being honored and continued with the grandchildren. And ultimately, all I think about is I can't please anyone and I'm not doing this right. Is there a way I can navigate this better? Oh my goodness. Well, first off, please don't feel like that. I know it's it's just a natural, immediate thing that you're feeling. Um, but definitely breathe through this and realize you're doing amazing and your child is going to be so unique and so cultured to have those that mix. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I would say it sounds like 
you need to sit down with each family group and explain like I do feel this pressure I really am trying to do what's best for our family and respect mm-hmm. both of you know your values and figure out what that compromise looks like I don't know if they're both in the same environment would it be healthier maybe to do half of a day you know with one yeah. side of the family the other half with the other so you get the both best of both worlds or maybe one year you do <laughs> you know with one family and the next you do it with the other yeah I love all of that. And one of the things I'm picking up on in this person's question is that repetitive thought of like, oh my gosh, I can't please everybody. And what I want to say to this listener is also focus on pleasing yourself. Right. Remember you in this holiday season. Remember your family. And because you're a new family, you get to make your own traditions and your own values. And while it's so beautiful to want to honor your in-laws on each side, it's really important that you give time for your own family to develop your traditions Mm -hmm. and values used to and take that pressure off of that voice that says you're not doing enough. I mean, it's so much anyway. So just remember to please yourself too. Absolutely. Hey, why don't we take a moment to recharge and reflect and we'll be back in a flash. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Hey, here we are back together again. All right, now back to our convo. This is a really powerful question. This question came in from a listener who said, I lost my mother on Christmas Eve. Mm. She loved Christmas dearly and made this holiday incredible for everyone around her. This holiday used to mean the warmth of my mother's love times a million. No matter how I want to enjoy the holiday the same way now, so many totems of this holiday just trigger grief and remembrance of her. Her birthday was also at 1123, which often lands on Thanksgiving. So this person is swirling a lot of memories. And they say, in essence, the holidays are really a period of grief and reflection of my mom and me trying to remember that that's also okay. But I have this negative voice in my head, usually with a lot of sadness, telling me that it's not okay to be happy during this time. Do you have any recommendations on how to handle grief during a time that's supposed to be about joy and celebration? Wow. That's a lot. And I think it's already wonderful that she's able to communicate that that's how she's feeling and she's aware and clearly she's ready to feel different. So for me, that's a huge first step. Yeah. I lost my grandma, who I was Mm. really close to. She kind of raised me while my parents were young at college. And 
we had a Christmas party and I remember her seeing her sat there and I just looked at her and I knew that this was the last Christmas party. It was the last family mm. gathering. This was the last time she was going to be with us. And I just remember crying and running to the bathroom and my mom followed me and, and she just cried too. Cause it, I don't know, you mm. just sense it. She was 93. And after that grieving, I really tried to intentionally think I'm going to celebrate her because mm. there are still times where I, I feel her or I see a sign and I'm like, oh, I miss you, but you're, you, oh, grams, I love you. Like I, I really try mm. whatever I can to push through the grieving and the, the sadness of it to really find the celebration in it and just say, I'm so grateful I got you in my life. I had all those memories with you. Yeah. I will say that's the only close person I've lost and it was a huge loss and yeah that's how I've been handling it is there have you got more advice for the Jess because I know that during the pandemic you lost a lot of family members yeah we've lost two family I've actually lost three family members during Jeez. this time unfortunately and my husband lost both his mother and his brother and his and their birthdays I, I relate to this listener's question because their birthdays are close to the holidays and so right. I think this is what I would add to your beautiful story too about tapping into the celebration and the grief I don't think it has to be either or I don't think it's a binary mm. experience I think every day with grief is different and I would love to normalize that more for people. And I think because there Absolutely. is a lot of pressure for the holidays. I mean, this listener said, I just feel like I can't be happy during this time. I would want that listener to take the pressure off of themselves to know you can feel happy in one moment and you can feel sad in the next. And you can mm. go back and forth with those emotions. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And in fact, when grief and joy live side by side, which they can often do for those of us who survive loss of somebody. It just makes you more in touch with living. It just reminds mm. you, right, that like life is precious and short and not promised. And finding the moments where you can celebrate, but also grieving is such a tricky thing. It comes up sometimes out of yeah. nowhere. And if we put pressure on ourselves to feel like we have to be quote unquote over it, it just adds more strain and stress and shame to that mm. moment. So I would just add, let yourself feel it all. Don't put an expectation that that it has to be one way or the other just because it's the holidays. I think that's oh, so valid and I definitely learned from that too. Thank you, Jess. Hmm. <laughs> um, this is a really interesting question, Iskra. I wonder how you're going to handle this one. So this question hmm. says, I feel like my close family expects me to hide who I am in order not to offend the rest of the family. <laughs> I'm told not to bring up certain beliefs or current events so that I don't upset my grandparents. I've also been told to make sure I hide my tattoos. <laughs> I've made so much progress in my self-esteem, but it also feels like my dominant stories are around my identity are literally unwrapped during the holidays. I feel like I have to hide who I really am. How do you think I can balance staying true to myself while respecting my family and navigating these dynamics? I mean, I feel uncomfortable that anyone would want to shrink anyone else. You know, that that for me just feels so unnatural. And it's something that I would never do. But I understand that sometimes people want to keep the peace, right? Mm -hmm. I know, for example, living here in Austin, Texas, I've been in family environments where, you know, I've had a friend who said, mom, can you please not bring up Trump? Because, you know, most of the people here are liberal. 
if Trump did come up or, it, you know, if her beliefs, if you're left or right, if that comes up, can we not have an adult conversation? Some people would rather avoid it. I feel like I want to say, if you're nourishing yourself with your tribe and your people who allow you to be yourself and you're like, okay, I was able to be in this environment for an hour. Now I'm going to go meet my friends at the bar or whatever it might be, or yeah. go to the park or go on a nature walk or a hike or go, to, or the go mo- to the movies or do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a last resort that you should step away from your family, you know, unless it's super, super harmful, but also if it is, if it really feels like you aren't able to be yourself, you can choose to say no. You don't have to be there. I agree. And I think, I, you know, where I, my head goes, Iskra, is I think these questions are so thoughtful because what I keep hearing in them is like, how do I keep showing up being true to myself, right? Even the question mm-hmm. about grief was about that. Even the question about family traditions was about that. Mm-hmm. So what I hear in this question is like, how do I stay being me inside of a family that may not be comfortable with all aspects of me? And the thing I want to say to this person is, well, this is something I've often said, look, families push your buttons because they installed them. Mm. All right. So like... It is a very familiar feeling inside of a family system to fall into patterns, right, of childhood patterns, of the way your family sees you or wants to see you. This is a great moment to exercise your belief in knowing who you are and tapping out of needing to be approved, whether it's your tattoos or your political beliefs from your family. I always talk about like, let's not go to the hardware store for milk. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not going to be there, if the connection and the respect, you can come in with your own set of boundaries. I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to sit down with somebody and say, hey, I, you know, respect that we have different points of view on this. Let's say about my tattoos, but my tattoos are a part of me. It's who I am. They're on me. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm not going to necessarily cover it up. You know, how can we negotiate this? Mm. I understand confronting can be hard, but I think the act of boundarying yourself, standing up for yourself, just knowing what matters to you when you step into a family system is really, really important so that you don't get sucked into all of those dominant stories that you need to hide. All right, this is interesting. We've got a couple more left. So this one says, during the holidays, I struggle with feeling like I can't give enough because I can't afford it. I feel terrible because I want to be able to give more than I can. How do I keep this kind of pressure out of my gift giving? This is so interesting because one of the most, one of my friends that makes me feel the most loved and appreciated and valued is she has nothing. She lives in a van on a hill in Spain and she has been my friend for so many years and and she gave up all kind of material things to move to a place and live a supernatural she calls it her hippie life but she the way we communicate the gifts she gives me she writes me poetry she checks in Mm. in such a deeper way that I feel so valued by her and we have this appreciation of our friendship that she feels like a gift she doesn't need to send me anything ever that's beautiful and I think that one of the great things you can do is giving your time, you know, planning things that are completely free, going out for a hike, spending time in nature. If you had an intentional moment with like that with someone or planned a day with someone and they just came to your house and you made them breakfast and then say, we're going to go on this walk. I'm going to take you to one of my favorite spots with the best view of the city, something Mm. like that. That is a beautiful gift. 
something I value more than any material gift. And I'm sure that your people would too. Yeah. I don't have much to add to that. I would say that there is a lot of pressure to feel like you're able to demonstrate love through material goods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no matter what season you're at in your life and your relationship to money or finances, I think just to remember that your worth is not also tied to the value of what you're able to provide, but by the virtue of your relationship and, and the way that you express yourself, like put a premium on that. 100%. It's that time again. I'll be back before you know it. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Oh my gosh, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. All right, let's dig back in. It's interesting. The last two questions that we have are going to be right up your alley because there are a lot of body image related, which is kind of where okay. we started in our conversation because this is the thing that comes up a lot for folks. So I'm not surprised by these questions, but I think they're really interesting. So let me, one question says, when I was 13 years old, I was at my family Christmas and we were all sitting around the dinner table with the entire family when my aunt turned to my father and loudly asked, isn't it about time you got her a bra pointing to me? Oh, wow. I was mortified. Has anything like this happened to you in your family? This moment has not only left me with a huge insecurity about my body, but for my breasts in particular. Please help. Isn't it wonderful what people just decide to do and <laughs> just scars you for life? Um, I feel like there probably is a bunch of moments like that. I think definitely the chubby puppy fat comments feel relatable to this moment in the sense that it was definitely yeah. just like, it felt like everyone was, you know, laughing about it. I was the butt of the joke. Yeah, I hope it's just going to fall off. That's what they kept saying. Oh, it'll just fall off and, you know, laughing it off and, you know, eat some more roast potatoes because I, I love roast potatoes. Who doesn't love a potato? But um, this is going to take some unpacking. One of the tools that I love is not only journaling, gratitude lists, but mirror work. Mm. Getting in front of that mirror and just trying to essentially play that narrative in your head, play that moment back. And I've done quite a bit of therapy for um, a different type of moment, but um, I work with a hypnotherapist and a therapist a bunch of times to go back and think about the moment where it happened. Mm. It was a wonderful gift my therapist gave to me to handle a traumatic event and 
maybe it can help you too. But there's also other tools me and Jess do, right? Yeah. Writing a letter to this person. Yep. I think writing a letter could be great. I also want to say to this listener, like, that was a really traumatic experience for a developing Mm -hmm. body to have all eyes on you. And it has a lot of shame packed into it from your aunt. And maybe what I would say is outside of whatever modality you might be in right now, if you're in therapy or if you've not gotten any help for this, there are lots of books that can help you unpack that traumatic moment of a Mm. body shame and know that you don't have to carry that shame anymore, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I would do that's, you know, a little bit more in the vein of that writing that letter is I like rewriting mm-hmm. these dominant stories. So maybe you could go back to that time yeah. and do an exercise in which you first write down everything you remember feeling as a 13-year-old, ashamed, embarrassed, angry, afraid, and then rewrite the scenario in which now with the intelligence or wisdom that you might have as maybe somebody who's obviously I don't think is 13 anymore – How would you go back and handle that? What do you wish you could have said? Or how could you have handled? And even though Mm -hmm. I know we can't go back in time, what happens with our obsessive thoughts around the trauma is that it does dissipate the intensity of that memory. And it gives you a chance to rewrite that dominant story. And so any of these ideas or maybe something I hope you sweet listener, walk away with and and think about and know that you don't have to be stuck in that moment anymore, right? Mm -hmm. If this happened to anyone it would really, really impact them. So I'm so yeah. sorry it happened to you. But I I know that you deserve to feel better about yourself and you can and you will. So we believe in you. Yeah. All right, last question. This is something we actually talked mm-hmm. about in the interview. This listener says, I've gained weight during the pandemic, enough weight that it's noticeable. My mom is a pretty image-obsessed person, and so is my sister. So I know that when I see them for the first time in over a year, they're going to make a comment. I already think I'm fat and disgusting. Those words roll through my head constantly. How do I brace for this interaction? I already want to scream and cry. Oh my goodness. Oh, I feel you. Iskra, how do people handle body comments during the holidays? What would you do in her position? I mean, I think that you're that you're aware of what's going to happen and you know that it's not okay. Yeah. Because it's not. What you have to think about is that it's a shame that they're stuck in that mindset. Is there an opportunity for you to sit down with them and share and discuss and help them see from your point of view? discuss that we are a fat phobic society and that you know your value and worth isn't based in your size. You're in a very self-aware position where you are struggling with the weight fluctuation, which again is very natural. I'm definitely here with you. I've, I don't know how much weight I've put on during the pandemic. I know that it doesn't impact other relationships in my life because I've had to educate them and share that with them and help them understand it's okay to gain weight. And so I think that you have a chance, and this is what I would see it as, as an opportunity to have a constructive conversation that's going to help them see things differently, that's potentially going to change their mindset on how they view themselves, on how they view weight gain, all of these things, because maybe they've never had a moment to actually sit down and challenge their own fat phobia or how they feel. I would almost guarantee that it's going to bring you closer together. And Mm. it's quite surface level, right? To not have them think about how that might make you feel. So I would assume that it'll be a surface level like, 
oh, Amanda, you put on some weight. Oh, that's a shame. That's very surface. But if you then bring them into the conversation and say, I've gained weight. I know it's okay. Shall we discuss this? Because I feel like Mm. you have a view of how I might feel about this. And I want to work through it with you. That's how I would approach it. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you said. And in, in an ideal scenario, if you've got a relationship that can bear that kind of honest recalibration, right. I think that's great. I might add some other ways that you can handle that if you don't feel safe to go there with family or you're right. just not there in a courageous place yet to say, hey. So a couple of things I say to people, and I've actually done this myself. I mean, look, you can do everything from mom, I love you. And my body is none of your business. Mm-hmm. So people are who are looking for like a quick thing to say, sis, I adore you. And my body is off limits for this holiday. Okay? Absolutely. If you don't want to get into the bigger convo, that's one thing. The other thing is I too agree, Iskra, sometimes it's also good to say, ow, like that hurt. I didn't invite that conversation. I don't feel mm-hmm. comfortable having this conversation. I mean, that requires a level of vulnerability. The other thing is you can also add a little humor into this to say, you know what? We're all just living and surviving through a pandemic. Like, let's just cut some slack for all of us this year. So I generalize the mm-hmm. response so it doesn't feel very directive. And it kind of reminds people like, oh yeah, maybe I should just like chill it on the fat talk because we are in the middle of surviving some pretty uncanny things right now. Right. So I think whatever your personality is, whatever your level of confrontation is, you are worthy and valuable enough to say something. You don't have to just accept it. You don't have to just fear it. You get a chance to also say how it impacts you, how you'd prefer to be treated, and, you know, why this is important to you. And that's one of the best ways we can change and challenge and rewrite our dominant stories. For sure. We want you to know you are empowered in this scenario. This is your body at the end of the day. Bingo. I guess my in my ideal world, right, we all have these conversations and we have all I these know. teachable moments and we get to change a whole society <laughs> because no one's going to be fat phobic anymore and it's going to be wonderful. But that is, we're exhausted too. But we just want to let you know that this is your day, this is your body, and this is your choice however you decide to handle this. Beautifully said. I knew you were the right voice to bring into this special edition episode, Iskra. (laughs) I love and adore you. I'm proud of your new endeavors. I'm excited to see them out in the world. And I'm so, so grateful that you joined in to answer these listener questions. How lucky are we today? So happy holidays to all of our listeners right now. Absolutely. You are heard, you are seen, you are loved. We're all worth it. We're all worth taking this time to I mean, it's Jess Wiener. What a legend. Um, I love learning from you. Thank you so much for your voice and light in this world. I absolutely adore you. And I'm always sending you love and all the people that we're connecting with right now who are listening to this, you are loved. Mm. And happy holidays. See you in 2022. Well, first of all, I owe you, my sweet listeners, a debt of gratitude for these incredible questions. They were rich and complicated, and I expected nothing less from y'all. So the things that are coming up for me that were a theme were the notion that you are worth having difficult conversations. I mean, I know nobody likes to have difficult conversations, but if that were to happen during this holiday time, whether that means you have to stick up for yourself or tell somebody how you feel or establish a boundary, we both want you to know that you're worth it. You're worthy and valuable enough to say something 
about how you prefer to be treated and how others are impacting you. Speaking of boundaries, number two is one of the things that I think can help in establishing a boundary, especially around families, because remember I said, you know, families know how to push your buttons because often they've installed them. It just means that we know we're more likely to get triggered around the roles that we play in our family or with our loved ones. So it's easy to fall back into old patterns. And if you're trying to break those patterns and set some new boundaries, one of the best things to do is to really focus on your values. What's important to you during this time? What do I want to get out of today? Stay focused on the gratitude of the moment. It won't control what people might say or do, but it will control how you feel about your time and your space and your energy. And it will likely give you more power to have those courageous conversations if you need to. Setting boundaries, really important, especially during this time of year. And then lastly, I was expecting these kinds of questions, body image, negative self-talk, a focus on food and fat and weight often comes up during the holidays. I loved Iskra's advice about you are empowered because this is your body. So tend to it, care for it, speak up for yourself. I would add in there, I know it sounds trite, but it is really important. Be extra kind to yourself. The talk about weight loss and weight gain and food and all this stuff can just be so in the atmosphere during this time of year. So remember that your body truly is nobody else's business. If you have to go to the bathroom, put your feet on the ground, take five deep breaths, do some self-talk in the mirror, remember an affirmation, like go take a short walk around the block, whatever you need to do to regulate yourself, be grateful for your body, be kind to it and be kind to yourself. Your body is doing so many good things for you. Staying focused on that during this time of year is so, so important. If you're interested in learning more about dominant stories and how you can change them and challenge them, I teach workshops and courses on that. And you can sign up at JessWiener.com or you can follow me on Instagram at I'm Jess Wiener. And as always, I'm so delighted to hear from you. I'd love to hear about your dominant stories and how you're challenging, changing, and rewriting them. So give me an update. You can email me at podcast at dominantstories.com or leave a voicemail at 213-259-3033. And don't worry if you didn't catch all that info. I'll make sure to include them in the show notes. Next week, we're going to explore the question, can I love my body and still want to lose weight? I'm going to be talking with Amani Al-Khattabi, an author, activist, and founder of MuslimGirl.com about the nuances of loving your body while still wanting to change it. Amani is going to share about her personal relationship to her body image, her identity as a Muslim woman, and her journey in losing over 100 pounds. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please don't forget to write a review wherever you're hearing my voice right now. It super duper helps us out. And remember... We are always learning and we're always growing. Dominant Stories with Jess Wiener is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.